Welcome to the first episode of Imagine Human, a new podcast discussing the future of humanity and the lives of the changemakers working towards that future. We hope you'll join us on this exciting journey. We are your hosts, Iris, Abi, and Morgan. Iris is a product designer who has worked in robotics, medical devices, autonomous vehicles, and human-computer interfaces. During her time at Stanford, she launched a successful Kickstarter campaign. Iris has been at Apple for the past two years working on multiple products such as the iPhone and Apple Watch. Abi previously founded a networking company that was acquired by Yahoo. He has a computer science degree from Stanford and is currently a software design consultant working with a number of startups. Morgan is a life science consultant working with two biotechnology companies focused on next generation therapeutics and scent sensor technology. Previously, he was a partner at an early stage venture capital fund investing in enterprise and frontier tech startups. In this podcast, we discuss the future of cryptocurrency with Kevin Shu, a former Y Combinator startup founder, Stanford graduate, and an early adopter of Bitcoin and Ethereum. You'll hear about Kevin's journey from where he started in 2011 to recent events in the last four months. He also discusses the differences among various coin offerings. We'll cover the global impact of cryptocurrency and offer recommendations on how you can get started. So let's get right into it. Hey Kevin, why don't you give us a little background about yourself and how you got into cryptocurrencies? Uh, why don't you take us from the very beginning? I think you started a few years ago. Yeah, right? yeah. So it was all the way back in 2013. Um, my final year at Stanford when I first heard about Bitcoin and it was only around $19. I think that's also when I bought my first one. Uh, currently, Bitcoin is around $2,500. So it's been a big, uh, big journey. Uh, I got more Bitcoin when it was about $100 because I just has, I wanted to put my money somewhere in a risky instrument. I believe I got 20 when it was at $100 and then it peaked in December 2013 at $1,200. So oh, now you got me right out of college with 24K in the bank. Super excited. Uh, but I did not sell and throughout uh, the following months and years with the Mt. Gox fiasco and the Silk Road thing, it tanked all the way down to two, $250 in 2015. Throughout that whole time, I was running my own startup uh, and unfortunately ran out of money and needed a way to pay rent. So I actually had to sell my Bitcoin at its low point in 2015 at $250 mm. just to pay rent. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I like the, I, the, the dips and crashes. It's in my blood. Like, I know <laughs> the markets. Uh, but I still held. I still had like five Bitcoin after that. And I held and like my girlfriend always made fun of me saying like, what's this stuff? Like, can you sell it? Yeah, it's just going to keep going down. But I held. And only in the past four months have I been uh, much more actively trading. Um, there's a lot of stuff that happened in the, in the past four months I can get into. But essentially, I went all in on this thing called Ethereum back in February when it was $11 and have had made many multiples since then. So I guess uh, before we get into the details, maybe you could give us a good overview of uh, what a cryptocurrency is for someone who doesn't know anything about this at all. Um, yeah, how do you think of a cryptocurrency conceptually? Sure, sure. So cryptocurrency is a very broad uh, term for these quote-unquote digital assets that people have just given value to for some reason. 
What's really interesting is the blockchain technology underlying the cryptocurrencies. So this all started with the Bitcoin white paper by Satoshi Nakamoto in 2009. Essentially, the blockchain, the simplest way I put it is, it is a decentralized third-party trust platform. In the current world, there are third-party trust issues where you need a third independent party to verify things. Mm -hmm. Such examples of this are like escrow companies where you're making a large transaction, a title company where you're buying a house that holds the money until everything's done, and then uh, so forth. This is slow and it is costly. Another example uh, is ACH, trying to get money transferred from one bank to the other. It has to visit the clearinghouse first and then to the other bank which is why it takes like five to seven days. The big, I believe, novel invention that Bitcoin or the blockchain has provided for us is the idea that we have decentralized nodes that are incentivized to provide their computation power. And when 51% agree on something, that's when they say like, hey, we're cool. Like keep this transaction and so forth. So is this 51% of the global computing power? This is 51% of the mining pool, of the participants in the blockchain. But mm-hmm. you can become a miner yourself by just running a piece of software on your on your own computer. So how would you say this is better than, let's say, like Chase or like a big bank that we trust, mm-hmm, verifying mm-hmm. the transactions? Yes. Um, for, the, for the most part, there's nothing wrong with Chase and Bank of America or anything like that. The biggest, it depends on who you are, right? Like. I find interesting analogies with decentralized apps as the free open source movement uh, or, or even pure CDN where there is no one central source of failure, right? Like currently, if you have more money on PayPal and PayPal decides like, hey, we don't like what we're seeing, they freeze your account, your money's stuck. So in that regard, if you have your own private key and your wallet, you have access to your Bitcoins no matter what. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. So, Kevin, I wanted to ask you uh, a very basic question. What What is Bitcoin and altcoin for listeners who don't know what that is yet? Right, right. So, so Bitcoin is the first cryptocurrency, and altcoin is the nickname for all the other alternative coins. Albeit, the altcoin market is currently about 60% of the cryptocurrency market. For, for a while, Bitcoin was like the only major player. It was like 98% of the cryptocurrency market. But Bitcoin has... Uh, still grown, but the all other coins have also grown uh, as well. Uh, Bitcoin is the first, uh, is the still the biggest. Um, what it's mostly valuable for right now is as a store of value, similar to how people store value in gold or real estate. Uh, it has some questions currently about its future. Currently, transaction times uh, are pretty high and they cost a lot, but there are some forks currently being done to hopefully make it a little bit better. Gotcha. So I, I've heard that one of the biggest altcoins is Ethereum. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know you're really involved with Ethereum, so maybe you can give us a brief overview of what Ethereum is. Yes, yes. So Ethereum uh, started off as a, a pretty basic in concept, not an execution, uh, fork of Bitcoin. So in uh, coding terms, a fork is literally when you copy and paste the code base and start writing and start customizing it uh, to give it your own type of uh, flair. So uh, some forks are like, other forks are Litecoin and Dogecoin. Uh, Dogecoin, I think, just started as literally a direct fork of Bitcoin, but just with a picture of a dog on it. (laughs) 
So, so Ethereum was a more serious fork. Uh, they implemented the concept of a smart contract. Essentially, the stuff like a title or escrow company does right now, where party A gives you something, party B gives you something. Once they're both received, then push it the other way. Um, in, this, is, this was theoretically possible with Bitcoin, albeit harder. And Ethereum brought together the concept of a codable, Turing-complete smart contract written in this new language called Solidity uh, that has, that's very similar to JavaScript, actually. So taking a step back, I was just curious, you know, uh, how does someone who's new to cryptocurrency, completely uh, unaware about what's mm -hmm. going on, how do they get started? Um, depends on their interests. Are they interested in being a trader and making a lot of money on this? Are they interested in developing and becoming a blockchain developer? This is a whole new job title mm -hmm. that big companies are actually hiring for now. Visa recently actually had a real job listing for a blockchain developer. Mm -hmm. Someone who has experience with both writing in the programming language called Solidity and also just the concept of like blockchain, uh, decentralized, decentralized uh, nodes and stuff. Um, so you got a trader, you got a developer, um, and then I guess in general, just uh, other intellectually curious minds on like what is this and where the future, what the future holds. Um, I would for all three, I would start with the Bitcoin white paper. I still point everyone to the Bitcoin white paper that Satoshi wrote back in two thousand eight, two thousand nine. It is surprisingly readable. Who who is the person who wrote this again? Uh, I believe his name is Satoshi Nakamoto. Uh, still, no one knows who he is. Why is that the case? Uh, he just appeared on this one forum and then it's like, hey, what's up? Drop the white paper and disappeared. Wow. Um, I think that's basically the story. There's rumors of like, this might be this one guy, this might be that one guy, uh, but no one no one has come forth. It might not even be one person. It might be a group of people or it might even be a government. Uh, no one knows. It sounds like in the cryptocurrency space, there's a lot of faceless individuals. Mm -hmm. right? There's it's It seems like a very faceless business and platform so yeah 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 it, can you kind of talk more about that yeah 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 so it's it, i think it comes because it is an invention created now in the world of the internet mm -hmm. it is why like there are youtubers and twitch streamers who no one knows what their name is but they love their usernames like pewdiepie and like ss sniper wolf like that's who we know they are Wow. Imagine seeing that thing on like CNBC, like a headline, right? Like SS Sniper Wolf, <laughs> like number one. You're like, what the, what the hell is this? It's not a name, it's a username. Um, so you got like, it fascinates me because you got anonymity, you got a lot of memes, mm. you got a lot of shit posting. Am I, am I allowed to curse? Yeah. <laughs> we keep hearing a lot about ICOs in the news. Can you explain what ICOs are? So let me, let me try this analogy out. Uh, there's a company called Twilio. They are an API for making phone calls and sending text messages. Something very valuable right now, automating uh, the sending of text messages and phone calls. Imagine in their first year, they don't have money and they haven't actually built a product yet, but they're like, we're gonna release 10 API keys. So only 10 people can theoretically use their API that they haven't built yet. But they're saying like, hey, trust me, we're going to have an awesome product one day. You either give me money to fund my development of the product and in return, I'll give you one of the first 10 API keys. Either you can hold on to it because in the future, it'll be very expensive to buy, 
from other people because there's limited supply and you could just hold on to it and use it. Or in the future, you could sell it to someone else because there's going to be a limited supply. And in the future, when the product is actually valuable, people are going to want these API keys. So that's a little bit of how ICOs work right now and the concept of a token. Does that make sense at all? Yeah. It does? Mm -hmm. Okay. So, so basically what they're doing here is they're trying to raise money to fund the development of their product yes. by selling to early users. Yes. Right? yes. So it's sort of like a token, not a piece of equity. Right? right, and also so equities are exactly equities are a piece of the company. They also have a lot of restrictions in the current modern world because uh, you need to be an accredited investor, which means you have to have more than two or five million dollars worth of net worth, which most people don't have. Right. But these are still novel ideas that possibly should be made. So why not have your earliest uh, uh, potential users invest in it through getting an early token? Interesting. Right. Combined with the fact that there are open markets now where you can exchange this immediately. Why is there a sudden interest in the last four months mm -hmm. that didn't happen last year or the year before? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so it all started, I believe, March 16 or something like that. Uh, in the months leading up to March, everyone was very excited for the Winklevi Bitcoin ETF announcement. So the Winklevoss twins, the, the famous ones from the social network, um, in heavily invest, seriously, them. Yeah, the, the, the two tall twins from the, the sued Mark Zuckerberg, right? <laughs> they, they, they heavily invested in Bitcoin back in 2013 and has since then been trying to create an ETF, um, a basically financial vehicle that will allow traditional investors to finally play with Bitcoin. And this means like 401k money, IRS, IRA money can finally be put into Bitcoin. Um, the SEC in America has to first approve this ETF and it was like a two year long process to approve it. And uh, I believe the, the deadline was something like March 16. And the, the rule was if we hear nothing uh, up, uh, and the day passes, then the ETF is approved. But traditionally, they've always said something, either approving or denying it, uh, which was what caused Bitcoin to ramp all the way back up from 250 to 1200 again in February. And then March 16 or something came and the SEC flat out denied it. And Bitcoin just like poof, crashed all the way down to I think like $900, $800 within hours, days. And this was March 16th this year, right? Yes, okay. yes, yes. March 16 or 19 or something like that. Okay, yeah. Um, so, so, and this was obvious to anyone that was on the inside. Like the SEC, of course, was going to deny it. Their main reasoning was they can't control it. <laughs> mm. It was easy to open to market manipulation by certain countries like Russia and China. Uh, it's, that's the point. It's, I mean, the, okay, the, the manipulation is not the point, but the decentralization is the point. Mm -hmm. right? They know what one government or one large body can or should control it. Um, so that's when ETH started picking up a lot of steam. Uh, either because uh, Bitcoin, after the fact, had a lot of community infighting over the future of it. Like basically, there has to be a reason for the rally, right? There has to be some news in the future or something to look forward to that will cause people to be like, hey, I should buy this now because it's going to be worth a lot in the future. In February and March, this was the SEC announcement. I should buy this now before 401k money comes in and just like goes to the moon. Well, the SEC announcement didn't uh, came and then and then it went down, so nobody was interested anymore. 
uh, and the future of Bitcoin was still in question because of things like SegWit and these other limitations on the blockchain uh, and the community infighting. That is a whole nother story. Um, ETH was picking up steam. It grew from $11 to $24 within a couple of days. And uh, people got really interested in all these tokens who are popping up. All these new companies that were taking advantage of the smart contract concept on Ethereum that started doing these ICOs, that started getting more involved, and uh, just kind of skyrocketed it all. So a more personal question, why did you believe in ETH? Because I know you've been, you bought it at eleven dollars, mm -hmm. and that seems like you know not many people really cared about ETH back then, and now it's at three hundred. So, what was your personal belief in it? I like the community a lot. I spent a lot of time in the uh, Ethereum and the ETH Trader subreddits. I also believe it had a much uh, higher multiple. Uh, Bitcoin at the time was, I guess, twenty billion dollars market cap. Uh, when it was $1,200, ETH was only a probably $2 billion market cap. Uh, currently, it's at $30 billion market cap. Um, it was only 11 or $24, and I think it still had a lot of room to grow. So in terms of multiples or ROI, I was much more interested in ETH. Um, can you talk a little bit about the biggest uh, ICOs or biggest tokens that have popped up recently? Yeah, yeah. ICOs are crazy. So earlier I gave a analogy on why uh, companies, uh, why ICOs exist or a little bit of how they work and why companies might be interested in using them to raise money as a API key for their product development. Um, some of the bigger examples of that recently is there's this one company called Brave uh, started by the founder of JavaScript literally the founder of JavaScript, and also I believe the founder and CEO of Mozilla for a while. And uh, he is working on this browser that has a novel way of interacting with ads, so you don't have to keep seeing ads and pop-ups and stuff like that. And one of the things he also released was this thing called the basic attention token. Maybe this was some mechanism to pay for the ads instead of using your time or whatever. Uh, and he created an ICO for that, it was capped at $24 million, and there was so much uh, demand for this token that it ran out in 30 seconds. Purely, I will say, based on the team and the founder and the good marketing and the good will, the goodwill he's developed in the community. Uh, so they raised $24 million in like 30 seconds. And we, everyone was like, what the hell? What's going on? It's mostly uh whales that got in mostly these big players that had a lot of money that just like went in and just like bought like a huge chunk of the pie uh so now they control a lot of the supply and whatever and the fascinating thing is demand was still up like people missed out on ico they still wanted in so when it hit the exchanges a week later it hit the exchange at 150 million market cap so within a week it already you know seven times from 24 to 150. So this sounds like a great alternative to venture capital, right? Like, why would you go and like have to pitch a bunch of VCs when you could just like run an ICO online and mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. make like thirty million dollars mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in uh, or more, thirty seconds? Or more. Yeah. Bancor raised one hundred fifty. Status raised a hundred million. This is ridiculous. And now you got Tezos <laughs> coming up next week, the mother of all ICOs, uh, and it's uncapped. So I have, still have to research more about the, how the ICO is going to work, but. 
it's uncapped. That means they can raise as much as they want in a certain time frame. So do you think uh, these ICOs are based on speculation or value? Like, does do people actually believe that Brave is going to be worth $150 million? Brave, the company, I don't think, uh, is a separate question of how much they're worth versus the total you know, price times market supply of Brave tokens, uh, which is the bat market cap. Um, I think, yeah, I think people are irrational right now and just want money. They just want to, they just want something to keep pumping up and they'll hope, they hope they could catch the ride and get off before it pumps down. <laughs> Especially with some of these smaller tokens that have much smaller volume, it's really easy to manipulate. I, I open coinmarketcap.com like every morning. I scroll through the first 100 lists and there's always like three or four random tokens that pop into the top 100 because they rose 90% that day. Like they're random coins, you know? Some have good value, like the other real meaning of value. Some of them are just like, hey, I threw a dart, but like you, you're getting pumped today. There's a lot of these circles. They're called pump and dump circles where basically some whales, some large um, people with large wallets, they basically say like, hey, um, you pay me $100 a day, I'll, put, I'll invite you to my Slack channel and I'll announce when I do a pump and dump scheme. And I'll announce when it goes up and when it goes down. So if you want to catch the ride with me, go ahead. But someone's losing money, right? So a bunch of people are making money and then the, the last person on top of the Ponzi scheme is losing a bunch of money. Exactly, right? exactly. Because if you watch the markets, how, how the market works is there, it's action reaction, right? For every person that buys, there's someone that's selling to you, right? So if you're buying it up, like, hey, I want to buy it at 140. That means someone's selling you at 140. And someone's like, I want to buy at 145. Someone's selling to you at 145. And the opposite as well. You're like, oh, oh my God, it's at 200 now. It's going to go to 300. I'll buy at 200. And then the guy's like, it's not going up to 300, buddy. <laughs> and sells into you and it goes down. So yeah. you're the sucker that just bought at 200, something that's already back to 100. It's very scary. How do you think cryptocurrencies will actually change how we think about money in the future? Cryptocurrencies, the, the most obvious benefit of it is that it's, it's for the entire world. Currently, money is decided on by countries, and we have these foreign exchange fees. Um, and each country is a little different because uh, you can just print more money, which will cause inflation and et cetera problems. I think we're moving into a world where there's the internet and we need to stop thinking about these boundaries that's only existed for, for uh, historical reasons um, and start thinking about how online businesses work, how online markets and currencies work. Something that's 24-7, something that doesn't have restrictions like transportation over an ocean. The biggest thing that excites me about this and its future, its five to 10 year future, is the fact that I know for a fact there are many, many banks up and down Wall Street and across the world who have research labs working very hard on trying to understand what is blockchain technology and how can we use this to improve our financial infrastructure. I've talked with people and they've given me out names of these gigantic companies that I've never heard of. But they're the companies that like Goldman Sachs uses to transport their money in between places. You know, like I never heard of these companies, but they move trillions of dollars of stuff. 
And the biggest thing is they're costly and it's theoretically still pretty slow. And the blockchain provides the exact same uh, value except it's faster and cheaper. The only downside to blockchain technology that scares a lot of people is the fact that code is law. Currently, if you mistype your friend's bank account routing number or whatever, and accidentally send your money somewhere, you could call Bank America and be like, hey, hey, I'm Avi, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I, I mistyped something, can you please reverse that? And hopefully they will, based on your, your, good, good, uh, your past uh, history with them or whatever. With the blockchains, there's no, no one to call. Right. You send money to someone accidentally, it's gone. That's it. Code is law. Mm -hmm. So that's scary to some people, but I think it does provide some improvements we could take advantage of, and banks are also interested in taking advantage of. Okay, so given that this is like the Wild West and a new, completely new frontier of currency, what are some risks involved uh, that might affect early users? Well, you could lose a lot of money. Um, there's no regulation, there's no safeguards in place. You could get hacked. Uh, people are actively hacking people. Uh, the best story I've heard of is the fact that there's apparently a malware on some Windows computers where, where uh, if you copy and paste a Bitcoin address, right? So a Bitcoin address is like a 16-digit hash. It's like, it literally looks like random numbers and, and letters. Um, if I give you my hash over like iMessage or something like that, and you copy and paste that, you copy that, open up your wallet, and like, okay, Kevin, I'm sending you 10 Bitcoin, paste it, the malware will, will hijack the paste and paste in the hacker's address. So it looks like you just copied and pasted an address to send to me, but you actually copy and pasted the hacker's address and you just send the Bitcoin to the hacker. That's crazy. <laughs> That's also very, very intelligent. Yeah, <laughs> like you'll never know this this malware exists on your computer until that happens. Yeah. So you have to be very careful, uh, both for for security reasons to protect your current your current wallet, uh, and the market in general. It's just extremely volatile, and if you don't know what you're doing, you can get very easily screwed. So besides Satoshi's paper, what other resources and services can a new user find? Uh, to educate and get themselves involved? Um, I always point people to this one Google Doc I found on Reddit that has a lot of good uh, terminology and uh, links to other places to start. There's a lot of new terminology uh, that you gotta just kind of research yourself. Uh, besides that, I spent a lot of time on the ETH Trader subreddit, uh, mostly to catch what's going on right now in the daily discussion and just some of the bigger trends and what's popular or what's not popular. Uh, there's a couple of Facebook groups that I'm a part of that also post a lot of the news and people's thoughts and opinions. Um, Bitcoin, big, there's a couple of Bitcoin forums that, that also talk about this. Depends on how technical you want to get, uh, whether you're more for a trade, trading angle or for a technology angle. If you're interested in learning the technology, I would suggest reading the white papers, and learning Solidity. There's a couple of good courses online about learning Solidity and actually becoming a blockchain developer. If you're interested in trading, I would set up a Coinbase account as fast as possible, uh, learn how to use GDAX and all the other exchanges, try them out, send some test amounts back and forth a little bit. It takes a while to get validated and increase your limits. When you first set up your account, you can only move $5,000. Uh, but imagine there's a big up or down and you want to put more money in, 
uh, if you don't have a a, a, um, a account with a good age, you can only move 5,000, right? So I would get a Coinbase account set up as fast as possible and Investopedia for just like basic trading tips. So what what is uh, what is your involvement with uh, cryptos going forward? What are you most excited about? What are you doing in this space? I know we know we, you work full time at Stripe, but are you just trading? Are you planning on doing other things? I am interested in uh, keeping an eye on where this goes because currently it is still going through its pre, you know preteen years. I feel like uh, it hasn't even gone through his puberty yet. Um, this reminds me so much of early mobile development before currently we have Swift, right? And it's such a beautiful language and it's easy to create your own iOS app. Like early web development before Ruby and Rails, even before PHP, like how to help you spin up a server. Uh, early emails where like you had to like just type magical commands on a terminal to get text from your friend across the world like what is this right like this the, the, the articles online are just like screenshots with arrows pointing to buttons like click this then click that to do stuff like it's still really janky it's still really early i'm really excited to see this space mature develop uh big companies are already showing a lot of support for this i believe the uis will get better i believe more people will understand this and there will be some uh I'm not sure there will ever be a hit consumer app in this space. I think most people still don't really know how the internet works. <laughs> HTTP, request, response, like DNS servers, like no one knows that stuff. They just know you open up a thing called Chrome, type facebook.com and then you could access the internet. That's what people know, right? Because there was a hit consumer version, uh, a consumer application of the protocol. I think the hit application of the blockchain protocol will be the underbellies of financial companies like all these how, how money moves around the world uh, so we'll never hear about it but it will be very active so thank you kevin for joining us today to share your insights and experiences with this new cryptocurrency market and technology for any Listeners out there, we are including links to help get you started with Bitcoin should you be interested. So please click below this podcast recording and check out some of the links to get started with trading Bitcoin today.